Good morning again, and we are again in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy chapter 15, and we'll be reading a few verses there. As usual, I have some points of interest uh, and concern which I would like just to mention. Uh, the president of Iran has said that Israel will soon disappear. The Iranian president predicted on Monday that Muslims would uproot satanic powers and repeated his controversial belief that Israel will soon disappear, the Mir news agency reported. I must announce that the Zionist regime Israel, with a 60-year record of genocide, plunder, invasion and betrayal, is about to die and will soon be erased from the geographical scene, he said. Today the time for the fall of the satanic power of the United States has come and the countdown to the annihilation of the emperor of power and wealth has started. I tell you that with the unity and awareness of all the Islamic countries, all the satanic powers will soon be destroyed. He said to a group of foreign visitors ahead of the 19th anniversary of the death of the revolutionary leader, Ayatollah Khamenei. The president also expressed his apocalyptic vision, listen to this now, that tyranny in the world be abolished by the return to the earth of the Mahdi. He's the twelfth Imam of the Shiite Islams. Alongside great religious figures including Jesus Christ. With the appearance of the promised saviour and his companions such as Jesus Christ, tyranny will be soon eradicated in the world. That, were his, that was, were his words. So, that's interesting. The Following on from that, he's, he's condemning the uh, Zionist state. According to reports in sources such as the Financial Times and others, Charles Allen, the senior intelligent official at the Department of Homeland Security, urged that the West needs to stop using the term war on terror because, he says, it creates animus in Islamic countries. Here's another one of these characters who uses words which no normal person would use in reasonable conversation. Animus, it means violent hatred. He says by using the term war on terror, it creates violent hatred in Islamic countries. He says, he went on to say, it has nothing to do with political correctness. It is interpreted in the Muslim world as a war on Islam. It says here, note that the term Alan argues against war on terror doesn't even include the word Islamic. So even a generic war on terror is too offensive to Muslims. And uh, it's interesting that having read what uh, the president of Iran said, the vast majority of terrorist acts worldwide are committed, it says, by Muslims. 10,000 and counting still since 9-11.
We know that not all Muslims are terrorists, but most terrorists are Muslims. So, there we are. We could not say a lot more about that. Following on from that, here's an interesting thing. The Hindu is one of India's uh, major newspapers. And I was looking at a copy of it on the net. And there's going to be an 11 day prayer for Obama's success in the Democratic elections. Democratic presidential candidate Barack Obama can now expect help from an unexpected quarter. Lord Hanuman, that's the uh, Hindu monkey god. All India Congress Committee member Bridge Mohan Bama, it's interesting that his name is Bama, not Obama, B-H-A-M-A, has organized an 11-day religious ceremony at Karol Bagh for his success in the United States elections. The idea of sending an idol of Hanuman dawned on him after friends in the United States mentioned a prominent American politician who carried a miniature Hanuman idol in his pocket for luck. Mr. Obama said, speaking on the first day of the ceremony last Tuesday, after hearing that I decided to gift Mr. Obama a larger gold-plated version along with the wishes of thousands of his supporters in this country, said the leader struggling to lift a 15 kilogram, 21 inch idol. The first day ceremony, Pranapratati, or the infusion of divine life into an idol, was performed by a dozen priests reciting mantras in tandem. It was attended by Democrats abroad, India chairperson, chairperson Caroline Sauvage, who spent over an hour at the venue. The idol was later kept in the sanctum sanctorum of the Sankat Mokan Dam, where it would be kept for ten more days. Mr. Bama said several temples in New Delhi had already expressed an interest in keeping the idol for worship on their premises before it begins its journey across the Atlantic. Along with the idol, a copy of Hanuman Kalisa, a compilation of hymns in praise to the Lord, that's the Lord Hanuman, would also be sent. We will ensure that Mr. Obama receives the idol by August the 24th, a day before the Democratic National Convention in Denver, Colorado. So we have uh, yet another twist in this whole uh, election over in the States. And finally, I have mentioned the Emergent Church on occasions and a man called Brian McLaren and he has had a series, a tour going around America called Everything Must Change. And there was an evangelical pastor went along to one of these uh, meetings and he did a report. And here's just a short extract of what he said about uh, 
going to this meeting. And upon, upon arrival at Goshen College, I immediately went to the registration table to pick up my name tag along with all the other conference materials. I was handed a plain cloth tote bag containing sample publications from organizations such as the Sierra Club, the One Campaign, Emergent Village, etc. As I came to the end of the table, I was also given a complimentary green, low-energy light bulb. I knew at that moment that I was about to begin a very unique experience, to say the least. The first session of the evening was entitled Focusing on the Wounds of Our Planet. We sang a song based on St. Francis of Assisi's poem, Brother, Son, Sister Moon and were then led in an opening prayer of location and repentance by an attractive young African-American woman who approached the microphone and began the invocation. O great God, we gather here before the Elkat and St. Joseph rivers where they meet and then flow into Lake Michigan. From Lake Michigan to Lake Ontario on through Niagara and ultimately into the Atlantic, one of your great oceans that cover the face of the earth. She then went on, we repent for the violence and injustice done to the Illini, Miami and other native tribes of the St. Joseph River Valley, to which the audience responded, Ancient One, forgive us. He goes on to say, she became emotional and uh, had to uh, wait a while before she continued. He said, uh, let me say here and now that I was touched by the young woman's sincerity and in no way want to mock or denigrate her feelings and convictions. I merely desire to express my serious disagreement with both the philosophy and logic behind them. And it goes on in that vein. Oh, uh, talking about damage to the earth. He says the emergent community's fixation with non-biblical practices rooted in the Middle Ages has been responsible for leading many sincere pilgrims to explore the ancient modern church through candles, incense, adoration of icons and relics. The audience was repeatedly encouraged to cast off their old framing story. That is the way they see the world. Including such bad things as doctrinal and systematic, systematic Bible study. Since according to emergent thought, nothing can be definitely known. Therefore any positive statements that sounded like confidence in the in existence of absolute truth were scoffed at as being narrow-minded and proud. So everything is going astray. We have Israel going to be wiped off by a Muslim leader. We have the Muslims complaining about us using terms like war on terror. We have uh, idol worship uh, being sent off to the uh, candidate for the presidential election and we have supposed leaders of the Christian church uh, praying to ancient ones and river gods and such things it's all 
Hosino. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 15 and we read from verse 12. <clears throat> Still talking about the seventh year, the Lord's release, the year of release. And if thy brother a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year thou shalt let him go free from thee. And when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of thy flock and out of thy floor and out of thy winepress of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee thou shalt give unto him. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore I command thee this day and it shall be if he say unto thee I will not go away from thee because he loveth thee and thine house and because he is well with thee then thou shalt take an awl and thrust it through his ear into the door and he shall be thy servant forever and also unto thy maid servant thou shalt do likewise verse 18 and it shall not seem hard unto thee when thou sendest him away free from thee for he hath been worth a double hired servant to thee in serving thee six years the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all that thou doest if the, the, here we have the, the, the principle again if they obey the Lord thy God things will go well with them you know here's a wonderful story of generosity and love for from one Hebrew or Israelite to a fellow Hebrew there's a similar story uh, or uh, rule and regulation in Exodus 21 but there the emphasis is on the bondman the man who is employed and that's we could look at that some other time it's there it's a type of the, the Lord Jesus but here in Deuteronomy the spotlight is on the master the one who is responsible for employing this man and his bountiful giving to the servant as he sends him out from his employment the servant you see had come he, he needed the master He'd come to the house of the master destitute, in need, without any conceivable hope of, of making it in the world. In fact, his very life had depended probably on his acceptance by the master. He had nothing to give the master. He came empty-handed. The master, on the other hand, had taken him into his house given him the means whereby he could have a living and provided for him and supplied for his every need now that must speak to us all we have received freely from our heavenly father he hath as the psalmist says he hath filled the hungry with good things 
He has given us so much for us to be thankful for. At the time had come, the year of release had arrived, and the time had come for this arrangement to end. And we have the touching example here also of the servant wishing to become a perpetual servant. <coughs> and so the master takes him out to the door and he gets an awl and he punches a hole in the chap's ear. And by that the servant has a mark a perpetual sign on him to show that he belongs to his master. This is a very great lesson <coughs> in the actions which one would expect to see of a Christian servant and a Christian master in very practical terms. It shows this, this picture of the master and servant here in Deuteronomy 15 it demonstrates how we as Christians should behave towards those to whom we have a moral duty either as an employer or as an employee to those Christians who have servants of any sort there is here an example to treat those under our roofs and in our employment and businesses to treat them justly and with honesty and so that in turn there is engendered in the servant in the staff a desire to serve with honesty with faithfulness and with mutual trust sadly in this world as we look around and read our papers day by day and listen to the news we see little of these principles being portrayed and practiced in many businesses these days we are more likely to see battlefields and, and greed in, in the boardrooms and rebellion on the factory floor the commandment thou shalt not covet has somehow taken the back seat these days doesn't it this servant here had a mark indicating that he was a servant to his master we as servants or as masters do people recognize in our workplace either as employers or as employees that we too have a mark of our master this is very practical teaching you know when Peter and John stood up in Acts chapter 4 and the people perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men they marveled why did they marvel what was it that made them marvel it was 
they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. It had had an effect on these two men as they stood up and preached. Last week we saw how the face of Moses shone. Why did it shine? Because he had been in the presence of God. And we saw last week that when the light of God dwells within us, it should be noticeable by others. We said that one writer had said we become transparent and the light shines from us. And that light should direct people to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, a Christian, either as an employer or as an employee, is not called upon by God just to be an employer or an employee. And we're reading once that uh, we are not uh, just shop assistants, employers, workers. We are Christians first and foremost and God enables us to have the position in order that we can help others or work for others but our first and foremost priority is that we are Christian workers or Christian employers representing the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are masters have to consider and ask how far we really seek the comfort, happiness and the profit of our servants, not just the profit in the bank. I read of an employer of a large factory being asked, how many hearts do you employ? Now it must have been a strange question, but it made him think and he shook his head and admitted, it says, with a certain amount of sorrow, how little heart there is in the relation of master and servant these days. Hence, we use the term, how many hands do you employ? Never how many hearts. We should employ hearts as well as hands. Those who are Christian servants, likewise, we have a duty to be as our Saviour who took upon him the form of a servant and in all ways was obedient to his heavenly Father's will his Master's will this should be our desire to be subject to our earthly Masters as Christ was the perfect servant Ephesians 6 verse 5 Read a few verses here in Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart that's what I was saying first and foremost we are Christians and God has enabled us to be surveyors or or, or shop assistants or factory workers or whatever it is God has enabled us to be in that position but first and foremost we're there as Christians and he arranged for us to be paid as well 
goes on. Doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Oh, if everybody working in, in, in every job had that attitude, it would, the, the relationships, working relationships would be so much better. Knowing, it says, that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free, whether you're, you're an employer or whether you're an employee. And then it goes on, and ye masters, do the same things unto them. You have to treat them exactly as they would treat you. Forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. And with him there's no respect of persons. And that's all very practical. And what was the basis of this duty that the master had to the servant here in Deuteronomy 15? Look at verse 15. The principle he had to work from. Why should I treat this man liberally? Why should... Because... Because thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee, therefore I command thee this thing today. And it shall be. If he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee, because he loveth thee, and thine house because he is well with thee. What is the principle? Because we have been redeemed. He had been redeemed. He'd been himself, had been an, a bondman in Egypt, a slave in Egypt. And remember that, he says. And I redeemed thee. Why did I redeem thee? You once had to be obedient to the wicked masters of Egypt. But you were, were redeemed out of that because I loved you. Now you have to copy that attitude in your lifestyle to your fellow Hebrew. As the New Testament says, freely ye have received, freely give. And what was the basis? What, how were they to assess how much they were to give their employee at the end of the seven years How at the beginning of the seventh year how were they to assess it how were they to work it out what was the scale you know we all talk about we have scaled rates of uh, professional fees and all that kind of stuff what, what was the fee what was the percentage here <coughs> look at verse 14 thou shalt furnish him liberally liberally that's a lovely word thou shalt furnish him liberally out of thy flock and out of thy floor and out of thy winepress of that wherewith the Lord hath blessed thee thou shalt give unto him ten percent twenty percent before tax, after tax. No, no. Of that wherewith the Lord hath blessed thee, 
thou shalt give unto him. What an inexhaustible basis this man had to work out. God had blessed the master. He was to bless the worker in the same way. And it's interesting, there were three ways he was to, to, to look at this. Out of thy flock, from the herds, the sheep, the goats, the camels, whatever they were, all that the, the man had helped to produce. Out of thy floor, where the, 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 the threshing floor means, where the harvested grain had been prepared to produce bread where the solid pure meal was produced and then out of the wine press where the grapes had been pressed to produce the wine whatever way they had flourished the worker was to receive in the same proportion I was thinking about this. We have received spiritually wonderfully from our God. He hath given us so much richly all things to enjoy. We read that passage, remember, in Timothy. When Paul was uh, saying to Timothy to be liberal as God. I wonder if we find it. It's in uh, 2 Timothy. I think at the end of 2 Timothy. Uh, maybe it's First Timothy. Yes, First Timothy. It says, uh, verse seventeen, six seventeen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life, charge them. And that's what God was doing here. He was commanding them to treat others as they had been treated. And we have received from the Lord liberally in a spiritual sense out of the flock oh we, we think of the flock we think of the lamb the lamb of God who came and suffered and bled and died for each one of us we have received salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ And then, from the threshing floor. Oh, the threshing floor was there, getting rid of all the chaff, all the rubbish, and producing the pure grain. And that grain is the living word of God which we have received. We have the Bible, God's word. 
gets rid of all the chaff at the threshing floor the prophet asked the question in Jeremiah 23 what is the chaff to the wheat what is the chaff to the wheat today we see so much chaff being churned out bandied about and being fed to the people the hungry people it's been fed instead of the wheat instead of the pure unadulterated word of God and like of old God says to these false teachers that we see abounding today is not my word like as a fire saith the Lord and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces therefore behold I am against against the prophets saith the Lord that steal my words every one from his neighbour behold I am against the prophets saith the Lord that use their tongues and say he saith oh so often the Lord told me the Lord said like this guy Todd Bentley behold I am against them that prophesy false dreams saith the Lord and do tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their lightness by their lightness yet I sent them not nor commanded them therefore they shall not profit this people at all saith the Lord may we each one discard the chaff and feed only on the pure meal of the word of God and thirdly the wine press the wine press speaking to us of wine wine that comes and gives us that joy it says wine also speaks of gladness in man's heart and how do we receive that through the Lord Jesus Christ and wine which maketh glad the heart of man Jesus said I came to give you joy life in all its fullness but wine also speaks to us of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as we remember the Lord Jesus Christ in the breaking of bread and the drinking of the wine it shows us and reminds us of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed for you and for me Jesus said this cup is the new testament in my blood the new covenant was sealed in his blood we are redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold but the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot but in verse 16 we read a bit of it there this servant will say to his master I don't want to go I don't want to leave you I was reminded of the passage in John 6 when Jesus was talking to his disciples many of the the, peop- the other disciples had left him because the sayings were too difficult he was making it hard we make it too easy for people but they left the Lord Jesus and it says in verse 66 from that time many of his disciples <coughs> went back and walked no more with him 
Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The servant knew his master here. He knew that his master had that concern and love for him. He had cared for him. He had received him when he was destitute. He had given him the security of his home. And he had shown him love. His thoughts were like that of Simon Peter and the Apostles. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have no, where will we go? To whom shall we go? And you and I know very well that there is no other door, no other way, no other guide to the realms of day, no other keeper when tempted to stray, no other way but Jesus. The old gospel hymn says, Living below in this old sinful world, hardly a comfort can afford Striving alone to face temptation sore, where could I go but to the Lord? Neighbours are fun, I love them every one. We get along in sweet accord, but when I pass the chilling hand of death, where could I go but to the Lord? Life here is grand with friends I love so dear, comfort I get from God's own word. And when my soul needs manna from above, where can I go but to the Lord? Where could I go? Where could I go seeking a refuge for my soul? Needing a friend to help me in the end. Where could I go but to the Lord? May we each one realize that there is no place like being close to God. He said in verse 16, I will not go away from thee because he loveth thee and thine house because he is well with thee. And he was marked as a servant of God. He showed it in his everyday life. May we bear the mark of a true servant who loves his master and never wants to leave his path and his side just as Ruth said to Naomi do you remember Naomi said you go back to your to your own people but Ruth said entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee for whither thou goest I will go And where thou lodgest I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And thy God my God. And just in closing. What did Jesus have to say. About this relationship. Between. A master. And his. Fellow servant. Matthew 18. And verse 23. Let me just close with this. <clears throat> then
ever is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king who would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents, about five million pounds. But for as much as he had not to pay, his lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. What a hope. Five million pounds. Give me a bit more time. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence, ten pounds about. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servants fell down at his feet and besought him saying have patience with me and I will pay thee all and he would not but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt so when his fellow servants saw what was done they were very sorry and came and told unto their lord all that was done then his lord after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Should not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses.